It's been a few years now since I did a whole stewardship series, and I'm starting a new series today called Dollars and Cents. And the reason I haven't done it in the last few years is because we've been going through COVID and all that's happened there, and I want to say thank you for your faithfulness. And I'm doing another stewardship series for the rest of this month, not because the church is in a crisis, but because there are several reasons that I think it's important to preach upon stewardship. Jesus talked about money more than anything else in the Bible. I mean, he talked about money a lot. He was never ashamed to talk about it. He was never afraid to talk about it. Therefore, I have never been afraid to ask God's people to give, to be faithful with their giving. I got a criticism one time, says all that he talks about is love and giving. And the person that criticized me for that says, isn't that great? Isn't that great that our pastor just sees so much love in the Bible and sees how God has called us to live a generous lifestyle? And the person went, I've never thought about it that way. For God, when you love like God loves, you just naturally give. That's your lifestyle. But one of the reasons is I talk about and I like to preach about money is because it builds your faith. It increases your faith of what God is going to do in your life. It increases our faith of what God is going to do in our church because we live in a world that's always reminding us about negative things, bad things, and we're surrounded by bad news. I dare say some of you watch Fox News or CNN News or some other independent news broadcast more than you read your Bibles. And if you do that, you're going to live with a negative view of the world. But when we talk about the principles that God gives us in the Word of God to prosper us, it builds our faith. The second thing is it does is it strengthens our vision. That we're not working to pay a mortgage, we're not working to pay taxes, we're not working to pay utilities, we're not working to pay for the groceries that our family consumes, and then we die, and our children, they grow up and do the same thing. But God has released a certain measure of wealth to each of us that we can have a vision for of what do we want God to accomplish through us, in us, and through our families. It increases our vision so that we're not living worried about who's going to provide for us tomorrow. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all these other things would be added unto you. And we live with that confidence. The third reason that I preach on money is that it deepens our fellowship. Because when we agree to give together, when we agree to support missions together, when we agree to bless our community together, one of the kind things that was said about our church just recently at our township center here in Brownstown was how that our congregation blesses this community. We don't just receive, but we turn around and we give back and pour back into our community. God does something for us and it deepens our fellowship. And when I use the word fellowship, I'm not talking about just having a cup of coffee at Starbucks together, but I'm talking about that common life that we share together in Christ, that common vision that we have to celebrate God's love by persuading people to become, say it with me, passionate followers of Christ. And the fourth thing that when we talk about money, I preach about it, is it helps you lay a foundation for your future. It helps you lay a foundation for your children's future. It helps you to prepare your children for success, and it prepares you for success. Last night, I was reading in my devotions before, I, before we got ready for prayer service. I went ahead and had my devotions last night, and 
And I come across that verse of Scripture that David said, Once I was young and now I am old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken. And he went, nor his children, begging for bread. We want to lay a foundation for the generation that follows us. Can you say amen to that? And so that's why I talk about money. And then there's a fifth reason. is because it helps us to express our gratitude to God and to bless God for his blessings to us. We say, God, thank you. The tithe teaches us to fear the Lord. Now listen, to fear the Lord means more than just to tremble in his presence. But to fear the Lord means that we trust the Lord that he's going to take care for us. Yes, I have less money in my bank account when I tithe. I have less money in my bank account when I give to missions. I'll be the first to admit that. But I have more money in my bank account in the long run because I put God first in my finances, and the Lord takes care of us. He rebukes the devourer. He supplies our needs by his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And it's my way of saying, yes, Lord, when I bring my tithe, Thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness to me. It's not optional. It's what we're called to do as passionate followers of Christ. So there are five reasons for someone maybe watching online today and you don't know me like this congregation knows me. I'm not asking you to give to Woodland today. I'm not asking you for your money. I just want you to know how you can be blessed and how you can see what God can do in your life. So I'm starting this series today on dollars and cents, giving, saving, and spending smarter. How many of you think you'd like to know how to do that better? Could I see your hands this morning? Well, stand with me out of respect for the word of the Lord, and let's get right to it. Paul's writing to young pastor Timothy, and he's trying to encourage Timothy on how to pastor his congregation. So I'm going to read you part of his advice to young pastor Timothy. Yet true godliness with contentment is in itself great wealth. And after all, we brought nothing with us when we came into the world, and we, can take, we can't take anything with us when we leave it. So if we have enough food and clothing... Let us be content. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. Now, a very controversial verse. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Say that sentence with me. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. In other words, greed is the root of all kinds of evil. He's not saying money is the root of all evil. Say that with me. Money is not the root of all evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So greed is the problem that he's addressing here. And some people (coughs) craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now notice that. Remember, Jesus said you can't serve God in money. The, The actual word for it is mammon. Mammon was a Syrian deity. Mammon was a god that people worshiped. It was associated with wealth. And so God says to us, you can't worship the Lord and you can't worship money at the same time. It's got to be in its proper place. So he says people who let greed take over their life, they'll end up piercing themselves. It's like committing slow financial suicide that affects every area of your life. Get it? Get it? Okay. 
None of us want to commit financial suicide, right? So notice what he's saying here. Now he makes a transition. That's why I put the ellipsis there. There's some other verses there. So he says, Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world. That's you and me. Compared to 90, over 90% of the rest of the world, we're rich. We may not feel rich because we live in America and we see such, uh, just such great displays of wealth in our nation, but we are rich compared to the rest of the world. So, and, and the church wasn't full of rich people in those days. So teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud, not to trust in their 401k, not to trust in their retirement, not to trust in their health plan. Teach them not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Somebody asked me to pray with them this week. They expected a certain amount of payoff from the insurance company for a bad accident they had. And time the insurance got through with depreciation and other kinds of depreciation, they're getting only a tiny portion of the cost. Money is unreliable. The gods of this world are unreliable. Say amen. So he's saying, which is so unreliable? Their trust should be in God who, by consequence, is reliable, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Somebody say enjoyment. I want you to go home and enjoy Sunday lunch today. I want you to enjoy watching the Georgia TCU football game tomorrow night. I want you to richly enjoy that. Can somebody say amen to that? He wants us to, oh, somebody's even waving a handkerchief or something at me back there. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment, and tell them, use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works, generous to those in need, always be ready to share with others, and by doing this, they will be storing up treasure as a good foundation for their future, so that they may experience true life. Father... If there's anything I want for this church, if there's anything I want for our friends online, is that they experience true life today, that they know you, that they have a personal encounter with you, and they walk underneath your favor and blessings. For it's in Christ's name I pray. And everyone said, amen, amen, and amen. God bless you. You may be seated. There are a lot more notes online for this message and some questions for your consideration that you might want to look at later at woodland.church or you can download them on our app. I was very confused about money, not about saving money and spending money when I was a young Christian. I read so many different things that just confused me and so many different people speaking in my life. I was taught from a child, I was taught from a child to always be generous. I was taught to tithe. I was taught to, and my sisters and I still talk about the fact that we're so grateful that our family and our children are tithers, and we love to give. And, and, and I can remember giving a penny out of a dime and, and Daddy helping me fill out a tithing envelope. I can remember Daddy pulling out, he carried this little plastic thing in his pocket that had a smile on it. And when you opened, squeezed it on the ends, it opened up. Did any of you know what I'm talking about? You ever seen a change purse like that? If you find one, buy it for me. I, I'll give it, I'll pay you for it. I just would love to have one to remind me of my daddy. I don't have one. Maybe you've got one in your top drawer you'll share with me. But he'd open it up and we could reach in there and we could pull out money to give. One Sunday morning, he opened that up and that smile opened up and there was a silver dollar laying there. 
And I grabbed that silver dollar to give in Sunday school. And my dad said, oh, 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 let me give you a paper dollar. That one I didn't mean to give away and put it back in. And so I learned then about coins that were pure silver and how they were so much more valuable than other coins. And so I learned a lot of things. But then when I became a Christian, there were people talking about prosperity and there were people talking about poverty. There were some people like Mother Teresa, St. Francis, who took vows of poverty. I admired them, and, and I thought, maybe that's what God wants me to be, is, is for us to live poor. And then there were people talking about prosperity, gospel of prosperity, or as you know it, the prosperity gospel, or the health and wealth gospel, which is another aberration. Both of those are aberrations of what the Bible really teach, teaches. It's all right if somebody takes a vow of poverty, if that's the way they want to live. I'm not knocking that, but that's not what the Bible calls us to be. The Bible calls us to be productive. You say, well, what about the young rich ruler? That was a man that greed was controlling his life, and God put his finger, he's the only one you see, that God put his finger on the greed in his life and said, sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And when God tells you to do something and you choose to do things your way rather than God's way, you have made something else a God in your life. He put his money before he put the Lord. Dallas Willard that I quote a lot to you in a book I've recommended to you, The Spirit of the Disciplines. Listen to what Dallas wrote here. The idealization of poverty is one of the most dangerous illusions of Christians in the contemporary world. Stewardship which requires possessions and includes giving. Would you read that with me? Stewardship, which includes... Let's do it again, because I messed up. Stewardship, which requires possessions and includes giving, is the true spiritual discipline in relationship to wealth. And that just lines right up with the Bible because stewardship means that God has given us something to manage. God has loaned us something to manage. Stewardship means that God has given us money to manage. God has given us a household to manage. God has given us assets to manage. Whatever it is that God has blessed us with in our life. I talked with a man this week <coughs> that I deeply respect. And he's a great investor. He's, a, he's, he's good at at handling money and he advises people with money and so I asked him I said why have you never bought a home he says I've never bought a home he says I don't need that to increase my assets because number one I don't want the trouble of having to take care of a home manage a home or anything of that nature and he said if anything I don't trust the real estate market it goes up and it goes down What's he saying? Money is unreliable. But he manages tremendous assets, not only for himself, but for other people. And he manages them for the glory of God. As a matter of fact, he's such a witness. Anybody that knows him knows that he's a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. So I wrote this statement. And you'll notice this next statement. It's not about paying your mortgage. It's not about paying your utilities. But I want you to begin in this series, Dollars and Cents, saving, Giving, Saving, Spending Smarter. I want you to see how God transforms our money as we give to the Lord. Money clothes the naked, feeds the hungry, cares for the needy, heals the sick, and most importantly, helps people to find and become passionate followers of Jesus Christ. Would you read this with me this morning? Money clothes the naked, feeds the hungry, 
cares for the needy, heals the sick, and most importantly, helps people to find and become passionate followers of Christ. That's how I want you to begin to look at your giving. God transforms what we give to Him. Remember how God took a little boy's lunch, transformed it, and fed the multitudes. God does something supernatural with us together as we give. Your children need to understand what God is doing through your personal financial stewardship. Your grandchildren need to understand what God is doing through your personal financial stewardship. In your will, and we'll talk about this later in the series, you need to include a significant portion of your will. Your attorney can do this. You can do this. If you wrote your own will, you need to include a significant portion testifying to God's faithfulness to you through the years admit your mistakes <coughs> admit your successes so that the generations behind you will follow and why you're leaving your assets the way they are so that they can manage them for the kingdom of heaven three things I want you to see real quick that God tells us you and me in this passage of scripture that he wrote to young Timothy God calls me to be rich in generosity and not live rich God calls me to be rich in generosity and not live rich. Well, you say, Pastor, I thought you just said God said I could enjoy what I have. Absolutely, God says that you should enjoy what you have. But when God calls us to be rich in generosity, He says, learn what it means to be a steward and to give. Learn that it doesn't belong to you. It's been entrusted to you. It's been entrusted to me. It's been entrusted to this congregation. And manage it for His glory. God, how do you want to use these assets? How do you want to use my paycheck? How do you want to use my finances? And learn how to give and to bless others. Be that person that's willing to grab the check at the restaurant. Be that person that's willing to bring donuts to the office. Be that person that's willing to bless others in the name of Jesus. Be that person that you give to missions when we take a missionary offering. Be that person that gives to building a church. Be that person that when a high school student comes along, even though you may get just inundated like I do. Be that person that when they knock on your door and say, will you help me with my house? Be that person that can give a dollar or two dollars or whatever. Let me just give you a little story. Most of you know, and if you don't know, you should know, I don't gamble. Matter of fact, I believe that gambling is a foolish thing to do. One of the neighborhood kids in our subdivision came to me this year, and, and they said, Mr. Clanton, would you donate $20 to our raffle, and they told me what they were going to do. And I said, sure, I'll help you with that project. That's a great project. I want to help you. I gave them $20. And she said, fill this out. I said, oh, no. I said, you know, I've never participated in a raffle. I didn't make a big deal. I've never participated in a raffle. I don't do that. Well, she went home and filled it out in my name. I got a check for $50. Somebody say Amen. That $50 went to missions because God is good. You know, now I didn't sin, she sinned. No, I'm teasing, you know. I'm teasing there. I never filled it out. It's just a personal principle of mine. I don't do that. And then I got blessed about how did I get blessed? So I went and found out. Friends, God calls us to be rich in generosity and not to live rich. Of course I could do more with my money if I wanted to do things my way. So not to live rich 
let me define it for you this way. Not to live rich means I choose a simpler lifestyle. I choose a simpler lifestyle. I don't live as large as I could live if I wanted to. I don't spend as much on myself as I could if I wanted to. But I choose, and that's what Paul is saying to Timothy, I want them to enjoy, God wants us to enjoy what he's blessed us with, but don't be a consumer consuming everything, but choose a simpler lifestyle. That doesn't mean that you've got to live like a peasant. That doesn't mean that you've got to live like a serf. It also doesn't mean that you live in fear that the economy is going to collapse. You just choose to live simpler. Now, let me tell you something I've observed. I eat in a lot of restaurants. I get invited out to a lot of restaurants, and I appreciate that. But lately, I've noticed there are some things that are really simple that they're charging rich bucks for. I mean, I went to a restaurant just recently, and they served shrimp and grits. Shrimp and grits. Now, there wasn't a dime's worth of grits on that plate. And there was four little shrimp, and there was some cheese in the grits that I couldn't pronounce the name of. And I got to tell you something. It didn't make the grits taste any better. The grits are just fine with salt, pepper, and butter. Somebody say amen. But here they are taking something simple, black-eyed peas, charging $3.50 to $4 for a side serving. Of, how many of you know what pot liquor is? Oh, pot liquor is delicious. Pot liquor is the juice off of turnips and the pork fat that it was cooked with, and you crumble up your cornbread in it, and you chop up some onions, and you eat it. I was in a restaurant just recently in Ann Arbor, and they had pot liquor there for $22. I called them over. I says, is this real pot liquor? And I said, yep, that's what it is, $22? We pour that stuff down the drain if everybody doesn't eat it. What I'm saying to you is you got to be smart. Live rich generously and be and choose to live a little simpler. Secondly, God's telling us in this passage, God created me for ministry. In other words, God created me to serve him. In the gifts of the Spirit, I just was paying attention to this the other day, working, how can I illustrate this, Lord? And and this idea hit me. In the, in the gifts of the Spirit, in every list of the gifts of the Spirit, and I don't believe they're exhaustive, there are oral gifts like preaching and encouragement. But then the rest of the gifts are deed-oriented. The rest of the gifts are, are ministry-oriented where you do something for other people. And so God is calling us here to say, look, I created you for ministry. So we need to invest time in learning what is our spiritual gift. That's why getting through uh, discovering woodland, that's why getting through discovering spiritual maturity, and then going to our class called Discovering My Ministry, and getting your spiritual gifts interview, and then getting your shape interview, what God has shaped you for, your, you know, your, your, your spiritual gifts. That shape stands for your spiritual gift. It stands for your heart, what makes your little boy or little girl jump up and down inside, the natural abilities that God has given you, your personality, and then the experiences in your life. And some of you that are going through some painful experiences right now, God is going to use you in ministry to others. Some of you who've had some great 
victories in life, God is going to use you in ministry to them. But always remember this. Ministry will always cost you something financially. Ministry will always cost you something financially. I sat down with a lady this week who ministers to the homeless. And after she had told me about everything she'd done, I looked at her and I says, okay, tell me how you put skin in the game. And she began to tell me her story of how she personally got involved and supported her church and her ministry and supported how she fed and helped take care of the poor and the hungry. It's people like that that I want to help. You see, people who are all talk and no deed, I really don't want to partner with them. People who are always wanting you to put skin in the game, and they're encouraging you to. I had a youth camp speaker one time that did not want to swim with the kids, did not want to play ball with the kids, did not want to participate in the morning Bible study with the kids, didn't do anything with the kids all day. And he'd come to me highly recommended. And so I finally went to him and I said, look, you need to be involved with these kids. You need to play with these kids. If you will play with these kids, they will pray with you at the altar tonight. He says, oh, no. That's not what I do. My gift is public speaking. That's what I do. That's only what I do. So I said, give me just a few minutes. I went and wrote him a check, gave him his check, told him he could leave town, and asked one of our youth pastors to finish preaching the camp. He played with the kids. He prayed with the kids. We had revival. You want to work with people who put skin in the game. And then finally, God creates in us a new heart. So that we want to live generously. So that we want to be those kind of people that are generous indeed and generous with our resources as well. Here's what I've discovered. When people have skin in the game and when people give and work, the gates of hell cannot prevail against us. When people give and work, Sir, it's not enough for you just to give. Ma'am, it's not enough for you just to show up on a Sunday morning. And if I'm stepping on your toes, please forgive me, but I think the Holy Spirit is speaking to you, and you know that this morning. If you're watching online, it's not enough just to show up online. God calls us to roll up our sleeves. God calls us to get into this thing together. We give, we work together for the advancement and the fulfillment of the kingdom of heaven. We don't put family before God. We don't put career before God. We don't put pleasure before God. We don't put money before God. God is God. We seek first the kingdom of heaven and his will and his heart become the will and desires of our hearts somebody say amen this morning hallelujah that's the only way that happens for God's kingdom to be the first thing you seek in your life it has to be that God has done a transformation in you you say pastor how do I grow in this how do I do it number one remember it all belongs to God it all belongs to God. It's not yours. It's not mine. Psalms 24 and verse 1. Read this with me if you would this morning. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Let's read it again. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its peoples belong to him. You say, atheists belong to God? I'm not even sure I believe in atheists anymore. Wasn't it amazing how many people wanted to pray for Dan Moore Hamlin this, morning, this week? I mean, when I just, 
I was watching one of the sports stations. My son sent me the link. It was not a Christian station. It was one of the major broadcast stations. The sports broadcaster said, I don't really want to step on anybody's toes, but I think this is what we ought to do. And he just stopped and prayed in the name of Jesus that God would bring healing there. Friends, God is doing something in America today. Don't you give up. The earth and all the world, everything belongs to him. Secondly, would you love your work? Stop complaining. Stop complaining. Look at your neighbor and say, stop complaining. Oh, you didn't say it with enough passion. Say, stop complaining. Now, look at your neighbor and say, start confessing. Oh, come on. You said that really weak. Say it with passion. Start confessing. If we would stop complaining and start confessing God's goodness to us, God's gift of a job to us, God's provision for us, that God is going to bless us as we put our work in his hands. If we would stop complaining and start confessing the blessings of God, I believe the windows of heaven would open up on us in our careers, in our vocations, and in our schools and community like never before. Give God thanks. And when I say love your work, get better at your work. I work every week studying to be a better preacher, studying to be a better pastor. I love what I do. I love, I wake up to it. The Bible says this, Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Observe people who are good at their work. Skilled workers are always in demand and admired, and they don't take a backseat to anyone. Recently, a young pastor came to see me. And he asked me, you know, about ministry and if I could share with him anything after almost five decades of preaching. And so we talked for a little while. And I told him, I said, there's one thing you have to do. God's call is not enough. God's call is not enough. When God calls you, he calls you to prepare. And the tense of that word in Greek is ongoing, 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 and ongoing. And when you see a man or woman who loves their work and works to become more skilled at it, works to become better at it, not because they're trying to become better than somebody else, they just simply love what they do and they're working at becoming better at it, God will open doors. I've never lacked a place to preach. I've never lacked a place to be able to serve. I have never had to ask for a job in my life since I applied for my very first job working for Piggly Wiggly. God has always opened the doors. Friends, if you will put God first in your life and love what God has called you to do, the possibilities are unlimited. Let me say that again. The possibilities are unlimited. Somebody didn't get that or you just said amen. The possibilities are unlimited. I'm going to say it till you get it. The possibilities are unlimited. The possibilities are unlimited. The possibilities are unlimited. Take off the limits. Stop complaining and start confessing the goodness of God. Come on, victory this morning. I got to finish this message because I'm hungry. Number four, learn to say enough. That's what Jesus was getting at with the young man who had lots of wealth. That's what Jesus was getting at when he, when he told people you can't serve God in money. 
He says, learn to say enough. Look at this verse of scripture from Proverbs 30 and verse 15. Greed has two daughters named give and give. There are three things that are never satisfied, really four that have never say I've had enough. If you want to know what they are, go home and read the rest of the chapter. In other words, they're always saying, give me more. Now, let me tell you, greed is kind of suspicious. And give me two minutes and I'll wrap this up. Greed is suspicious. How many of you have ever looked at somebody who drove up in a new car that was very expensive and you went, you know what, they could have drove a cheaper car and given that money to missions. Hmm, that's not the last place to say amen. Number one, it's not your business. And number two, you don't know anything about their resources, their finances. Or how many of you, you've read Facebook and you go... Come, everything good is happening, and it's not happening to me. You see, greed has a way of making you so dissatisfied in life. Generosity causes you to live generously, causes you to live not only generous with your time, your talent, your testimony, and your treasure, and you have a new heart. Number five, remember my works will be judged. 1 Corinthians 3.13. On the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if the person's work has any value. Friends, there's not much that makes me tremble in life. But when I think about not my salvation, I'm saved, you're saved. When I think about that everything that I've done is going to pass under the judgment of Christ, and will it be wood, hay, or stubble, or will it be gold and silver and precious stones? I love you. I want you to hear these words, well done. Andy, I want you to hear the words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I want you to hear those words, Carrie. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Don, Judy, I want you to have the smile of the Lord upon your life. Not only in this life, but eternity is a long, long time to enjoy hearing. He said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Would you stand with me this morning? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I want you to be at that judgment seat of Christ. I don't want you to be at that great white throne judgment the Bible talks about. There, because you refuse to give your life to Christ, to embrace Christ as your Lord and Savior, Maybe you chose to do things your way. Remember I said, I'm not asking you for anything. I'm just giving you God's word to think about. But I am going to ask you to do one thing. Do it for yourself. Do it for the glory of God. Do it for your family. But if you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ and understand you need a Savior, I need a Savior. 
If I didn't, God would have never sent Jesus. That's what Christmas was all about. And if sin wasn't serious, Jesus would have never had to die at Calvary. This is serious. This is life. And the beginning of a new heart and a new life is to say, Lord, thank you. Thank you. It's just start confessing with the mouth. Confession is made into salvation, the Bible says. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, if you trust him, then the Bible assures you, you will be saved. That's bottom line. You will be saved. So right now, I'm going to ask you in this room or online, would you pray with me this morning? And maybe we can all pray together so that no one feels uncomfortable, but let's all pray out loud. And if you're at home and you can pray quietly if you want to, but if you can, pray out loud with me. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I didn't know that I was already forgiven. I didn't know that Jesus' blood washed away my sins. I didn't know that he rose again on Easter morning so that I might know you. And so today I confess you as my Lord and my Savior, and I receive you into my heart and life. So, Father, as much as I know how, I commit my life to you in Christ's name. Amen. While your heads are still bowed, if you prayed that, if you've wandered away from your faith commitment, you prayed that this morning, would you lift up your hand in this building? I'd just like to know who you are so I God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, sir. God bless you. I love you. I do. Hallelujah. God bless you. Wow. If you did pray with me online, would you please just go to prayatwoodland.church and let us know. Pray at woodland.church. Pray at woodland.church and let us know you gave your heart to Christ. If you'll share your email address with me, I'll send you something tomorrow to help you in your new walk with Christ. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise? I don't know how many this morning. Just, yes. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Hallelujah. Amen, amen, and amen. Well, may the Lord bless you. No, don't turn around and pick up your bags. You've got to receive the blessing. Look at, Look here. I, I can't believe you just did that. Man, you've been on vacation. You don't grab stuff during the blessing. You receive the blessing. A few weeks ago, people were holding their hands out. I said, receive the blessing. Let's receive the blessing this morning. May the Lord bless you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you. May the Lord watch over you and you're going in and you're coming out. May the Lord give you favor and peace with your enemies. And may the Lord bless you and prosper you and keep you in good health as you serve him. Go in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Amen, amen, and amen.